So, let's go ahead and jump into our, our message this morning. We're continuing our series on the echoes uh, from Exodus, and I hope that you've been enjoying it. I've been enjoying it. I want to give you a really, really quick recap of kind of where we're at and what's going on. We've been going through the book of Exodus together. We've kind of been looking at things. I believe Exodus is a wonderful book. It's one of my favorite, really, because of the stories that are there and the freedom that's there. It really is one of those, the books that really begins to, to really move the plan of God really forward as far as God's plan for redemption and all those things. So we've been kind of looking at that. Uh, kind of where we're at with a quick recap is the people of Israel are, are, are have been brought there because of Joseph and because of the famine, but they have grown and grown and Pharaoh got kind of freaked out about it and got really concerned so he makes them slaves. Um, Moses is saved because Pharaoh is trying to kill all the baby boys. His mom puts him in a basket. He's adopted into Pharaoh's family and his household uh, but Moses tries to do things his own way and his own timing and and basically kills an Egyptian has to run to the desert. He's there for 40 years and finally when he's about 80 years old God comes meets with him at a burning bush calls him back to uh, Egypt to deliver the people. He shows up and says hey listen it's time to go uh, let my people go that whole thing and Pharaoh says no, and because of that, God begins to send plagues on the country of Egypt and on Pharaoh to convince Pharaoh to let the people go. Now, this morning, just because of time and because of situations, we're not going to talk about every plague. We're actually going to talk about three. And, and, but the thing is about these plagues is what we're going to talk about with these three are really um, happening on each one of the ten plagues. So I, I am going to read a little bit of scripture, more than I usually do, but I want to kind of show you uh, kind of a, a pattern that begins to develop. And, and I wanted to do it a little bit more than just with, with one plague. So if you have your Bible or your Bible app, you can open that up to Exodus 8. We're going to start with Exodus 8. We'll be in Exodus 8 pretty much uh, throughout this first part. So if you got it there, we're going to start with Exodus 8, starting with chapter, uh, verse number 1. And this is what it says. We'll jump around a little bit, but this is what it says. It says, Then the Lord says to Moses, Go to Pharaoh and say to him, this is what the Lord says, let my people go so that they may worship me. If you refuse to let them go, I will send a plague of frogs on your whole country. So there have been other plagues already that have taken place. We're kind of jumping here in the middle a little bit. And so the Nile will teem with frogs. They will come up into your palace and into your bedroom and onto your bed and into the houses of your officials and all of your people and into your ovens and kneading troughs. The frogs will come up on you and your people and all your officials. And now I'll get to jump to verse number six. So Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt, and the frogs came up and covered the land. So again, this is another one of these plagues. God says, listen, if you don't let the people go, I'm going to send some issues. I'm going to send some problems. And in this situation, he sends frogs. Okay, now let's continue with Exodus 8. Verse number eight, it says, Pharaoh summoned Moses after the frogs have come and said, pray to the Lord to take the frogs away from me and my people, and I will let your people go to sacrifices, to offer sacrifices to the Lord. Verse number nine, Moses said to Pharaoh, I leave it to you to honor the setting, the time for me to pray and for you and your officials and your people that you and your house may be rid of the frogs, except for those that remain in the Nile. Tomorrow, Pharaoh said, Moses replied, it'll be as you say, so that you may know there is no one like the Lord our God. The frogs will leave you and your houses, your officials and your people, and they will remain only in the Nile. Verse number 12. 
After Moses and Aaron left Pharaoh, Moses cried out to the Lord about the frogs he had brought on Pharaoh, and the Lord did what Moses asked. The frogs died in the houses, and in the courtyards, and in the fields. They were piled into heaps, and the land reeked of them. But then Pharaoh saw that there was relief, and when he saw that, he hardened his heart and would not listen to Moses and Aaron just as the Lord had said. So, so we're going to look at this and we're going to start to see the, the pattern begin to take place. But Moses, basically, they have the plague, they have the issues, they have the trouble. And basically, Pharaoh calls out to Aaron and Moses and says, listen, pray to God that we'll get, take care of this. So Aaron and Moses do, and there's relief. But then Pharaoh hardens his heart and he won't let the people go. So let's continue on. Exodus 8, 16. Then the Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron, stretch out your staff and strike the dust of the ground. And throughout the land of Egypt, the dust will become gnats. They did this. And when Aaron stretched out his hand with the staff and struck the dust of the ground, gnats came on the people and the animals and all the dust throughout the land of Egypt became gnats. But when the magicians tried to produce gnats by their secret arts, they could not. Since the gnats were on the people and the animals everywhere, the magician said to Pharaoh, This is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was hard, and he would not listen, just as the Lord had said. All right, let's continue on. I think you're starting maybe to see a little bit of this pattern here. Exodus 8, now verse number 20. This will be the last one that we look at. Then the Lord said to Moses, get up early in the morning and confront Pharaoh as he goes to the river and say to him, this is what the Lord says, let my people go so that they may worship me. If you do not let my people go, I will send swarms of flies on you and your officials and on your people and into your houses. The houses of the Egyptians will be full of flies. Even the ground will be covered with them. And the Lord did this, did swarms of flies poured into Pharaoh's palace and into the houses of his officials throughout, the e throughout Egypt. The land was ruined by the flies. Now let's jump to verse number 28. Pharaoh said, I will let you go to offer sacrifices to the Lord your God in the wilderness, but you must not go very far. Now pray for me. Moses answered, As soon as I leave you, I will pray to the Lord, and tomorrow the flies will leave Pharaoh and his officials and his people. Only let Pharaoh be sure that he does not act deceitfully again by letting the people go to offer sacrifices to the Lord. Then Moses left Pharaoh and prayed to the Lord, and the Lord did what Moses asked. The flies left Pharaoh and his officials and his people. Not a fly remained. But this time also Pharaoh hardened his heart and would not let the people go. Father, I come to you right now, and God, I just pray that you would just help me right now to say the words and to communicate the things that you desire for me to communicate and say. That, Father, my words would cease, that your words would begin, because your words are what we need. Your words are what changes hearts and lives. So that's what we need, that's what we desire, and Father, we ask it all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. I don't know if you know this. I, I really enjoy, and I think I've mentioned this before, so some of you may know this, some of you may not. I really enjoy, like, history. I really enjoy documentaries. I, I like um, shows. I know that a couple years ago, I, actually, it's been a long time now, I really enjoyed when they did um, Band of Brothers, and then they did, uh, which was a group of guys that went through World War II together, and it kind of started off at their training and went all through the war in Europe, and then later they put out a, a type of, a same type of thing with people in the Pacific, and in and, and, and both both of these stories, I saw one of the same things, and, and that is this idea of a foxhole. 
Okay? Some of you may know what a foxhole is. I'm assuming all of you do. But, but basically, a foxhole is dug by, by a, a person in a war to kind of give them protection um, and stuff like that. So a lot of times when they would go to a certain place, um, they would dig a hole. And they would say, the, the, the sergeant or whoever would say, hey, listen, you need to dig a foxhole. And so they would dig out this piece of ground, a hole in the ground, so they could have protection from attack. But also they could have protection, you know, as they were, if someone was attacking them, basically. And, and and throughout these shows, and even in, in things that I've seen as far as real-life documentaries, there would be times where these men would be shelled, and they would be attacked. And basically, all they could do when they were being shelled was to kind of hunker down inside of this hole in the ground and kind of hope that basically a, a shell didn't basically drop directly in to one of their foxholes. A lot of times in these movies that I've seen, you know, the, the bombs are going off. I mean, it's crazy and it's loud and it's scary. And there's those guys that are kind of hunkered down and they're kind of quiet and they're kind of waiting. But usually in these shows, there's an individual or two that kind of loses it a little bit. And I don't blame them at all. I mean, that's got to be extremely stressful and extremely scary. But they just begin to cry and they just begin to weep and they just begin to call out. And, and sometimes they say, you've got to be quiet because now the enemy knows where we're at and all these things. So it's a very scary, scary thing. And because of this, because of this tendency or what we saw here, people began to say a little bit of a phrase that maybe you've heard before. And the phrase is this, there are no atheists in foxholes. Maybe you've heard that before. What, really what that means is quite simple. It means that when the stress of war has come, when those heartaches have come, when those hardships have come, a lot of people in those moments, they begin to look for a higher power. But what's interesting about those, those scenes and kind of what I've read about uh, men that have actually experienced that is that kind of when the shelling stops, when the things begin to slow down, when, or even more so sometimes when they go home, things kind of aren't the same anymore. That, memory, that, that, that time in the foxhole had kind of brought them to a place, but in the whole scope of things, there really wasn't life change. There really wasn't a change. And, and we in the church have kind of taken this concept and looked at it. And, and we've even called it, we have a name for it. We kind of call it foxhole religion. It's this concept that when things go bad and things are difficult and stressful, we tend to reach out to God and say, God, I need you. I can't do this without you. But when things begin to go well again, we tend to kind of go back to doing the same thing before that we've always been doing. There isn't a change. There isn't, um, there isn't something that takes place in our heart that really gets us moving forward with God. Instead, we kind of get into this cycle, this pattern. This morning, what we're going to talk about is what I'm going to call the cycle of Pharaoh. Because in all of these plagues, we see a cycle take place. Now, here's the thing I want to remind you before we get into this. Before you look at Pharaoh and start wagging your finger at him and going, man, how could he be so stupid? We all do this. Some of us, let's maybe do it a little bit less, but we all tend to do this thing, and I want to help identify it, look at it, because I truly believe God wants to help you and me break the cycle of Pharaoh 
in our lives. So this is in your notes. We're going to kind of look at this together. We're going to kind of start with looking at what the steps in the cycle of Pharaoh is, okay? Now, as you look at this, don't just look at um, what we're seeing in Scripture here with Pharaoh, but also let's look in our own lives, okay? So I put these on your notes, so if you want to fill these out as we go, but this is usually how the cycle begins. Number one, there is a problem, okay? Something happens that causes you pain or discomfort. There's something you don't like that begins to happen in your life. Now listen, sometimes these are things that you have done and kind of brought on yourself. Sometimes they're not, okay? But a problem arises, you're not happy with the situation. You're not happy with your life. You're not happy with what's going on. So because of that, you go to the next step, which is a plan. You begin to make a plan to figure out how can I take care of the problem, okay? How can I deal with the problem that I am now facing? Something's happening. It's uncomfortable. How do I deal with the problem? You make a plan. Number three, you begin to work your plan. You begin to do what you planned out. You begin to say, okay, here's the issue, so I'm going to do this, and then you begin to actually do it. Sometimes we kind of make that mistake where we make the plan, but we don't follow through with the plan. But step three is you actually begin to work the plan. You begin to do what you've planned out to take care of the issue. Number four, life improves. Your plan is actually working. I mean, that's a good feeling, isn't it? You're like, hey, I have this issue, I have this situation, so I'm going to work the plan. Or I figured out the plan, I'm going to work the plan, and life begins to improve. After step four, you have a move on to step five, which is decision. You have a decision to make after life begins to improve. If you make the right decision, you will break the cycle of Pharaoh. If you make the wrong decision, you are going to start the cycle again. Now, that cycle may not start tomorrow or the next day, but eventually it will come again. So in Pharaoh's life, in what we've read in these plagues, we see these situations begin to take place. We see a plague or a problem. We see a plan. He begins to work the plan. He gets relief from the things that were working from the plan. And now Pharaoh has a decision to make. But here's the thing. If you know me at all, you know that I am not a big guy when it comes to working on symptoms. Okay? I like to find what the problem really is. Because sometimes what we tend to do in our Christian life is we just deal with symptoms and we never really do deal with the disease that we're dealing with. You see, I believe that God came to give us healing and freedom, not just from symptoms, but from the actual disease that we're dealing with. So I want to look at this together. What is really at the root of the cycle of Pharaoh? Because I believe what's at the root that Pharaoh dealt with is the same thing that can be at the root for us when we are dealing with this cycle, when we're going through this kind of idea that, hey, when everything's good, we're, we're kind of okay, but when things go bad, we kind of jump on this cycle, and then it just kind of spins and spins and spins. So we're going to look again at three verses that we've already read, but that show kind of what I believe is the root here for each of these basically these plagues. So we'll start in here, Exodus 8, 15. This is what it says. But when Pharaoh saw that there was relief, isn't that interesting? When Pharaoh saw that there was relief, when Pharaoh saw that life improved, he hardened his heart and he would not listen to Moses and Aaron just as the Lord had said. Now let's go to the gnats. Let's see what happens there. Exodus 8, 19. The magician said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. But Pharaoh hardened his heart 
and he would not listen, just as the Lord had said. Now let's go to the flies, Exodus 8, 32. But this time also Pharaoh hardened his heart and would not let the people go. We've talked about this in other areas. We've talked about this in other messages. What we find once again is the condition of the heart. Listen, if you are on this cycle of Pharaoh, if you are dealing with this, it really matters where your heart is. This is in your notes. Your ability to break the cycle of Pharaoh will depend on the condition of your heart. If your heart is hard, you will probably, when you get to step number five, you will continue down that road that you've always been on. If your heart is soft and moldable, you will more than likely, hopefully, be able to make a decision that will get you off of that cycle and moving forward to what God has for you. But listen, we need to look at this a little deeper. We need to dive in here a little deeper. What does a hard heart even look like? Because here's what I found, to be honest with you. I have met some of the most wonderfully nice, and this is going to sound counterintuitive, the most wonderful, nice people in the world. They seem so nice and so wonderful, and they have a heart of stone. You can be a nice person and have a hard heart. Okay? And so we have to figure out, what does it even look like? What's a hard heart look like? And I think there's two things. I think there's more than this, but I think these are the two that I really feel like we need to focus in on this morning. It's this. A hard heart is a prideful heart. A hard heart is a prideful heart. Look at Hebrews 3. In Hebrews 3, the writer of Hebrews begins to speak, and, and, and they're talking about actually this time, around this time in Israel's history. And this is what is said. It says, that is why the Holy Spirit says, today when you hear his voice, listen, don't harden your hearts as Israel did when they rebelled, when they tested me in the wilderness. There your ancestors tested and tried my patience, even though they saw my miracles for 40 years. So I was angry with them, and I said, their hearts always turn away from me. They refuse to do what I tell them. Okay, listen, we may get to it. We may talk a little bit about it. The plan is we probably won't get to this, so, but we'll see. You know, God can change some things around on me a little bit. But you know what? As you go through the book of Exodus, not only is the heart or the cycle of Pharaoh in Pharaoh, it is very evident in God's own people, the Israelites. They do the same thing over and over and over again. Let me give you a real easy, quick example. Oh my goodness, this is great. We have our freedom. We're out of here. Everything's going good. Oh look, a big body of water called the Red Sea. What are we going to do? I don't know. Look behind you. Oh good, there comes the entire army of Egypt. They're coming to kill us. God, help us. God, what are we going to do? God, help. God, help. God, help. <laughs> Army chase, <laughs> army dead. People, yay! You know what happens after that? The people begin to complain. Think about that for a second. Like that blows my mind. If this doesn't show the prideful heart of every human being, I don't know what it uh, does. They just are trapped between a, literally a rock and a water place. Got it? 
Thank you. Walk in a water place. God, you know, I, my youth pastor said this, and it never got out of my mind. I just think it's the coolest thing. Maybe it happened, maybe it didn't. But he always said, you know, I think God, when God parted the Red Sea, God just went like this. Ready? He went, he just, a little puff of his nostrils. And the Red Sea went, and not only that, but they walk on dry land. They go across it. And then, just to prove the point, once they're all across and the Egyptians follow them, God lets the waters come back over and they celebrate. But it's so quick, they start complaining. They start to fall into that trap. They don't make a decision. Why? They think they know better. They say things like, it was so much better in Egypt. We had cucumbers in Egypt. I mean, listen, come on now. I, I, I'm not a big vegetable guy. Y'all know that. But listen, if you're celebrating cucumbers, it's not the greatest place in the world, according to me, okay? But that's where they're at. Oh, they had cucumbers in Egypt. It happens over and over and over. They challenge Moses. They challenge God. God sends snakes. God says, make a, a serpent de in, the, in the desert. They do. God, is, God heals. I mean, just over and over and over again till finally they have to stay out in the desert for an extra 40 years and die. Why? Because they have a pride problem. They think they know best. They think they know what should happen. They think that their heart is hard. It won't listen to God. Listen, if you're the type of person who can't listen to, comp to, to things that people share with you that may not be comfortable, you have a pride problem. You do. I know sometimes I have a pride problem. I think I know best. I know what to do. You know what really helped break that in my heart a little bit? The fact that he's eight now, but before when he was two or three years old, and my little son would look at me and call me on something, not because he was mean, but just because he was innocent, and say, Dad, why do you act like this? And I would just go, <gasps> and I could have said, son, what do you know? You don't know the stress I'm under. You don't know what I deal with. But I didn't. I said, wow. Here's a three-year-old that's speaking into my life. If my heart was hard, it wouldn't have allowed it because surely this little guy doesn't know anything. A prideful heart is a hard heart. A hard heart is a heart that will, when God will send someone to you to try to help you break this cycle, you won't listen because you know best, because they don't understand. And it will break you. Listen, hear me here. In the case of Israel, in the case of these people that missed out, it, it, was, it was ultimately it killed them. They never saw the promised land because their hearts were hard. That was the root. But not only that, but a hard heart is a forgetful heart. It's a forgetful heart. Look at Mark 8. Mark 8, we see an interesting story. This is what it says. At this, they began to argue, this is the disciples, with each other because they hadn't brought any bread. So let me give you a little context here. Disciples of Jesus get in a boat, they're heading to the other side, and now they've realized they don't have any bread for the trip, okay? Jesus knew what they were saying, so he said, why are you arguing about having no bread? Do you know or, under, do you know or understand even yet? Are your hearts too hard? to take it in. Now stop there for a second. Let's, let's look at what's happening. Jesus has seen an argument because they're arguing about the fact that somebody messed up, basically. Nobody brought bread. 
So in this moment, Jesus has identified the problem, which is not the lack of bread. He's identified the issue, which is a hard heart in the disciples. He says, listen, you have a heart that's hard. Say, can't you take it in? He said, you have eyes, can't you see? You have ears, can't you hear? Don't you remember anything at all? So in this moment, Jesus is now going to diagnose the hard heart. He's going to say, listen, you have eyes, but you're not seeing. You have ears, you're not listening. You have a heart that's hard. Why? And he says, you're not remembering anything. Listen to what he says. When I fed the 5,000 with five loaves of bread, how many baskets of leftover did you pick up afterwards? Twelve, they said. And when I fed 4,000 with seven loaves, how many large baskets of leftovers did you pick up? Seven, they said. Don't you understand yet? He asked them. What did Jesus do? They've forgotten bread. For how many people? Thirteen. Jesus and twelve disciples. And so they're arguing. How could you be so stupid? What's wrong with you? Uh, you know, they're blaming Peter. They're blaming, you know, Matthew, whoever. I mean, they're all having a fit. And Jesus says, guys, guys, guys. I just fed thousands of people with a couple of loaves, and now you're concerned about 13. Why? Simple. They forgot. And Jesus is reminding them. It's important that we remember what God has done. But here's, here's, here's an even uh, another part of this that I think we see, okay? Especially in the life of Pharaoh. We tend to forget the pain. Think about what Pharaoh goes through for, for 10 plagues, and he never gets it. Even after the 10th, when his son is killed and all the firstborn in Egypt, he still never gets it. Why? Because he chases after him and dies for it. He never gets this. He forgets the pain. He forgets the problem. He allows those things to be so fleeting in his mind. Listen, it's important that we remember the scars. I remember growing up, and, and I was a, you know, this kind of ages me, but, but, but I used to really like Stephen Curtis Chapman. I know he's still putting music out because he's probably 120 now, but whatever, he's still putting music out. And, and he had a song, and it, was, it basically said, remember your pain. Remember the things that brought you here. Not so you can live there, not so you can make your home there, but so that you can remember that, hey, I don't want to go down this cycle anymore. We talked about it a couple of weeks ago. Remember we had the, the chart here with the line and things got really, really messy on it? God sometimes will allow things to come into your life that are uncomfortable because he wants to get you back where, he, where you belong. But if you always forget, if you always say, oh, it wasn't that big of a deal. Oh, I forgot what God has done. I forgot the, the miracles that God has done. And your heart becomes forgetful. You'll remain on that cycle time and time and time again. You can't have a forgetful heart. Jesus here diagnoses a hard heart with a lack of remembrance. A forgetfulness that we cannot have if we're going to break this cycle. Sometimes it's important that we understand that. A lot of times when I would teach uh, parents on parenting... I would say, listen, you are disciplining them for many, many reasons, but one of them is so they remember the discipline, so they change their behavior for the future. 
Do you understand that concept? God wants us to have the same. God sometimes will allow hard things so that we understand and go, ah, when I walk this way, when I do these things, when I have a hard heart, when I am prideful, when I don't listen to God, when I think I know best, bad things can happen. I don't want those things to happen again. I want to follow God's plan for my life. Don't have a forgetful heart. So with that, Let's look at some, some application. Let's look at some things that what will it take to break the cycle of Pharaoh? What will it take? And some of this is pretty simple. Some of it makes complete sense with what we've just talked about. But number one, you got to have a heart that remembers. Remember your pain. Remember, listen, where is this thing? I even forgot where it is. Let's see, it's been over here someplace. I got a scar. Where'd it go? It's on my arm somewheres. There it is. See, no, you can't see it. I know you can't. You know what that scar's from? A couple years ago, we were rear-ended by a big old truck. There it is. It's right there. I can feel it. I didn't go high enough. We were, my family and I were headed to South Dakota, going to go see um, Mount Rushmore, and we were really excited. I hadn't had a vacation in a couple years. Actually, more than that, we were really excited, and we went over a hill, and a big dumper truck rear-ended us. We were about stopped, and he wasn't. And uh, if you want to see some scary pictures of a vehicle, I have them on my phone. And thankfully, God kept us safe. But you know what? He didn't keep me completely safe. That glass, when it shattered, cut my arm and gave me a little scar. Is it a big deal? No, I had to get stitches, but no big deal. But you know what? Every time I see that scar, I can look at two, one of two things. I could say, oh, what a horrible accident we were in. Or I can look at that scar and see the faithfulness of God to keep me and my family safe. Sometimes scars can be so beautiful if you can remember where you got them. And remember that even in the pain, God is faithful. Even in the hurt, God is faithful. You have to have a heart that remembers. But hear me here. You have to remember the right things. Some of us are really good at remembering the pain. We're really good at remembering what this person did to me or what that person said to me or how could they do that. Listen, a heart that remembers that is a hard heart because it's a prideful heart because it's all about you but a heart that remembers, hey, listen, even though there was pain, even though there was hurt, I love that person. God loves that person, and God can bring and has brought possibly restoration to that. So you have to have a heart that remembers, but a heart that remembers the right things. Number two, you need a heart that is surrendered. When you look at really what Pharaoh's main issue, and, and there was lots of issues here, he, had, he didn't have a surrendered heart. When you look at Pharaoh's response to Moses and Aaron when they came, Moses said things like this, Who is God? I don't know this God. He has a heart that's puffed up. He has a heart that's proud. He has a heart that is not surrendered to God. His plan is best. His way is best. Not God's. God doesn't seem to know much, but I seem to know it all. And so I'm going to do what I think is best. Listen, that is not a surrendered heart. That is a heart that decided that they are in control. And that is a hard heart. 
but a heart that surrendered is a soft heart. You ever seen a potter? You ever seen a potter make something beautiful out of extremely hard clay? If you haven't, it's because it doesn't happen. A hard heart and a hard piece of clay won't be moldable. That's why when he does it, if you watch a guy that's, or a gal that's doing it, they're constantly, hear me, they're constantly working that clay with water in their hands to keep it moist, to keep it movable. Listen, you know what that is in a lot of ways? Because, and because of that, when the potter takes their hands and just slightly moves them, it, it, it makes a huge impact on the clay because it's soft. The clay, if you hear me here, the clay is surrendered to the potter in that moment. And because of that, change can take place. A lot of us pray for change. We want God to do something. We want God to move in our lives. But we refuse to let the water of the Holy Spirit come, anoint our hearts, make it soft again, so that we can experience that life change that God has for us. The final thing that you need to break the cycle, you need a heart that is made new by God. You need a heart that's made new by God. Listen, listen, hear me. Only God can change a heart. I can't change your heart. You can't change your heart. You watching 400 sermons a month will not change your heart. You writing the most beautiful worship song that's ever been heard will not change your heart. Your kids can't change your heart for you. Your spouse cannot change your heart. Only God can give you a new heart. We tend so often to try to get our heart changed, to get a heart transplant from people who don't have the ability to give us a new heart. And then when that happens, you know what typically takes place? Our heart gets even harder because we're upset, we're angered, we're bitter by that moment in our heart where now it becomes even more difficult. Listen to what Jeremiah 24 says. I will give them, 24-7, I will give them a heart to know me, that I am the Lord. They will be my people, and I will be their God, for they will return to me with all their heart. Who gives those people a new heart? It's God. It's, it's, it's not, it's not you know, oh boy, if the pastor could just preach on this. It's not, if this would happen this way. No, God is the one that comes and wants to give you a brand new heart. Not a hard heart, but a soft heart, a gentle heart. I love this verse. It's one of my favorite, all of scripture. I use it a lot. Ezekiel 36, 26. And I, speaking of God, and I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn, hard heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. God wants to do this. Now, as we close, let's go back to Pharaoh. Let's look at this cycle again. There's a problem. There's a plague that takes place. There's pain that takes place. There's discomfort that takes place. So Pharaoh comes up with this great plan. He calls Moses and Aaron. And he says, listen, Moses and Aaron, pray to God for me. This is the plan. The plan is God will take care of this. God will help me. I'm hurting. Basically, what's Pharaoh doing in his way? He's calling out to God. God, I need you right now. God, I got to have you right now. God, I got this big issue right now. Moses and Aaron hear 
He says, I'll let the people go. I'll do whatever it takes. Just make this stop. So Moses and Aaron say, okay, we'll pray. They begin to work the plan. God takes care of the issue. The frogs all die. The gnats go away. And all of these plagues, we see it over and over again. And there's relief, Scripture says. Life improves. And then Pharaoh is brought to number five, which is a point of decision. Is he going to do what he said he was going to do? Is he going to let the people go? Listen, if Pharaoh had a soft heart, here's what probably would have gone on. Pharaoh would have said, you know, um, this isn't fun. <laughs> all these frogs, all these flies, all these, you know, the, all, the death of my own son, this is not a good thing. And you know what? I remember how before when the frogs came, I said, you know what? I'm not going to let the people go. And now gnats came. And I remember how I said, well, I'm not going to let the people go. And now, now this came. You know what? I remember that. Maybe my way isn't the best way. Maybe I should surrender to a God who has a plan that will happen whether I like it or not. You know what? I don't want to let the people go. But you know what? I surrender my plan, my will, my desire. And guess what? If he had done that, we wouldn't have had ten plagues. Who knows? We may have had two. We may have had one. We may have had eight. I don't know. But here's the thing. He never made the right call. And eventually, even after the tenth, it cost him his life. Why? Because he knew best. When he came to that moment of decision, his heart was hard. If the worship team wants to come on up, we're going to close. But I want to talk to you because I mentioned this earlier. I think we all deal with this. I think we all go through it. I was a youth pastor for 15 years. I saw it in the lives of teenagers. I saw it in the life of, of people that were, that were far from being a teenager. And it just seemed to go over and over again. I would get a phone call. Aaron, I got this issue. Aaron, I need you. Aaron, I need to meet with you. It's an emergency. And I'd say, absolutely, let's get together. Let's talk. And, and they'd come in. They'd share just, oh, this horrible situation. And man, we'd pray. And, and I'd, I'd try to help them wherever I could. And then I, they'd leave. And I wouldn't hear from them for three months. About three, four months later, there'd be a phone call. Oh, Aaron, I got an emergency. Oh, the world's falling apart. Everything's going wrong. I said, okay, man, come on. Come on in. Let's talk about it. We'll pray about it. We'll look at it. And guess what? They come in. We talk and we pray. And oh, it would be great. Okay, I got this. I'm okay. We're going to do this. We're going to do this. Wouldn't hear from him for another four months. And the phone would ring. You know where I'm going. They were on the cycle. Listen, hear me here. God doesn't want you on the cycle of Pharaoh anymore. He wants to break that. You say, Aaron, how do I break it? Simple. You've got to check the condition of your heart. You've got to get when things improve, you can't go back to doing the same things you always did. Remember we talked about the foxhole? The problem with the foxhole religion is that when the bomb stopped, there was no life change. Sometimes there's hard things that come in life. 
for all of us. Jesus promised us that. But in those moments, we have a decision to make. When life improves, because it will, maybe a little bit, maybe a lot, but it'll get better. When we begin to see God's faithfulness and working those things out, we're going to have a decision to make at that point. Are we going to break the cycle? Because here's the thing. Pharaoh never did, and it cost him his life. Now, I'm not saying that your cycle will cost you that dearly. But it could. And more likely, it could cost you your spiritual life and your spiritual health, which, quite honestly, is a little bit more important than this dirt that we're all going to go back to one day. So let's... Let's talk. Can we, do, can we do this just so we can focus? Can we just close our eyes? Because I do believe that this is something that every single human being deals with. It's almost like human nature. It's why I believe God wants to give us a new heart so desperately. Scripture says that the human heart is desperately wicked. It's why God wants to give you a new heart. He wants to break that cycle he wants to get you to a place where it's not that problems won't come, but it's that we understand that even in the problems, even in the pain, that God is with us, that God has a plan and God's plan is perfect. But if you want to break the cycle, you're going to have to get checking on your heart. So I'm just going to ask you a simple question. Do you have a prideful heart? Do you have a heart that refuses to listen to God or maybe to people God places in your path that love you and want to help you? Can I get real personal? Are there times where you come and you're in this service, whether online or in person, and you have these thoughts? Boy, I sure am glad Pastor Aaron's preaching to so-and-so. Boy, I sure am glad. Boy, they need to hear that. My, oh, my, oh, my. Guess what? If you're saying that, you got a prideful heart period. If you're not willing to let little Emily, two, three years old, I don't know how big she is now. She's growing like a weed. If you're not willing to allow God to use her to speak into your life, you got a prideful heart. And I'm not saying that to, to shame you at all. I got a prideful heart too a lot of times. And we have to understand that God wants to give us a new heart that's surrendered to him. Maybe you have a forgetful heart. Maybe, maybe as soon as things get better, you forget about what God's done. You forget about God's faithfulness and you just begin to go about your own thing. You kind of you have that situation. Okay, well now it's good. Now everything's good. Now I don't have to listen to God. Now I don't have to follow God. Now I can just do my own thing. And you kind of do that until basically the next problem hits and then you run over. God, help me. God, deal with this. God, help me, help me, help me, help me, help me. And God does. And God is faithful. But then you go right back to doing what you've done before. You've forgotten what God has done. You're like the disciples. You forgot who was in your boat. You're sitting there complaining about nobody got any bread. Jesus is there who's just fed thousands of people with next to nothing. And Jesus would say to you and to them this morning, why is your heart hard? Don't you realize who I am? I came through before, I'll come through again. You don't have to worry about no bread because I am the bread of life. 
but we tend to forget. We forget our pain, we forget our scars, we forget what God has done. So if you're there tonight or today, you need God to give you a heart that remembers. But I think for all of us, we just need a new heart again. We need God to reach in with his Holy Spirit and anoint that pot one more time. Make it flexible, make it moldable. Allow it to become shaped by you, God. Not by our own hands, but by you. Because God, only you can change a heart. So this morning, no matter where we're at as people, no matter what we're dealing with, maybe we're on this cycle right now, maybe we're in step one, two, three, or maybe we're really at step number five. We have a decision to make. Whatever we're at, God, I pray that you would soften our hearts. You would make our hearts soft again. You would make the condition of our heart pliable and moldable in your hands so that when we get to that place of decision, whether it's today or six weeks from now, whenever it is, we'll make the decision that says, you know, what God I surrender to you you know what God your plan is better than mine God I know that that you have been faithful in the past and you will be faithful in the future we know that to get out of this cycle the root is what our heart is so God do it again give us a new heart give us a new heart take out that heart of stone and give us a tender responsive heart, tender to you, tender to others, tender to the needs of others. Change us from the inside out. God, break this cycle in me and in us. We love you. Let's all stand. John and the worship team are going to come lead us in a quick closing chorus. Thank you, God. Me Thank you, Jesus. With a melody, surround me with a song. Check your heart. Yeah. Let God just check your heart. Thank you, God. God, thanks for giving us a new heart. Thanks for transforming the hearts that we have and helping us to break this cycle. So God, whether we're on it or will be, God, I pray that you would just bring this message to our mind and our memory when it comes. That when things begin to get better, when we get to step five, we'll allow the tender heart that you gave us to break the cycle of Pharaoh and begin to move in the plan that you have for us. We love you. We thank you. You're so good. We love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen.
Amen. Thank you so much for being here this morning. For those that are online, hey, we love you. We miss you. We hope you're doing well. Remember, after service, we're headed over to Jason's Deli for lunch. If you don't have lunch plans, man, we'd love to have lunch with you and just fellowship and talk. And just know they have ice cream. So everybody wins, all right? So have a great afternoon. Hopefully we'll see you at lunch. We'll talk to you soon.